Thanks, worship team. That was awesome. I love that song. Uh, it gets at what we're talking about this morning. But before we go there, um, my favorite game, because I, uh, I have two favorite games. My favorite board game is Ticket to Ride. I don't know if any of you have played Ticket to Ride, but if you haven't, it's a phenomenal game. Um, our favorite video game right now is Wii Sports Resort. I don't know how many Wii Sports Resort fans we have out there, but um, there's this one game on the Wii Sports game, and the Wii Sports game is like this resort that plays all these games that aren't really realistic. But anyway, there's a bike ride race, and I love that my girls want to play this with me because it's getting a little, just a little fiery competition, which I really want to see a little bit of that in them, and so they, we go head-to-head, and it's great, and I sometimes let them win, um, but my son, he, like, wants to do the tandem ride, so there's the, the head-to-head, and there's this tandem, and the tandem bike is a little bit frustrating, because he wants to get in the front. He's like, Dad, I'll be the boss, and, and by that, he means he steers, and then I have to sit in the back and pedal, and it's great because sometimes we get in this rhythm and we start to win and we get into the lead and then he'll be like, Dad, now we're going to go off a cliff. Woo! And I'm like, no! And then, then we'll get back up and he'll be like... And, and if you've ever played the game, your, your virtual guy starts sweating. Um, and so I'm just sweating and, and then he's just kind of in the front, sometimes coasting and looking around. And, but we get back up to the lead and then there's this part where there's a bridge and be like, we're going to go off the bridge and woo! And psh, into the virtual river of death and... Uh, it's so completely frustrating because I like to win, if you know anything about me. And um, I like to steer. I like to know where we're going. And he just thinks it's supposed to be fun time together. <laughs> Silly boy. <laughs> but, but I thought about this. And, and I remember in high school, one time I counted up all the bosses I had in my life. I use the term generically. So I had seven teachers. I had three coaches. I had two work bosses. I had my two parents. I had my girlfriend's mom. Her dad wasn't really around. So I counted them up, and I had like 14 bosses in my life. And I remember going, gosh, I can't wait until like I'm an adult, and I have maybe one boss. I don't know what I was thinking then either, but... <laughs> But this idea of, of having bosses or not having bosses, it, it really, when you think about our American individualism and kind of our conqueror mentality, um, being the boss is, is right in line with that. And so when we're not the boss, it feels like something is, is wrong. It, a, a great example of this a story I was reading, NASA. So Heidi, you're going to get your answer. NASA um, they started, when they launched the space program, their astronauts figured out their pens wouldn't write in space, you know, the whole zero gravity thing, it wouldn't flow down, and so they had to solve this problem, they really wanted to solve, this was a big problem, they wanted to solve it, and so they couldn't figure it out on their own, they hired Anderson Consulting, and they did, they solved it, it took 10 years, that's a decade, and 12 million dollars, but they created a pen that could write upside down, sideways, um, it could write on any writing surface, including crystal, which I'm like, really? Crystal's a writing surface? Underwater, the thing would write underwater. It could write at temperatures from below zero degrees to 570 degrees Celsius, uh, Fahrenheit. I don't even know if you'd have skin left on your body at 570 degrees. But they created the pen just using their own resources, little human ingenuity. Isn't that awesome? That's like, <clears throat> go America. You know what the Russians did? They used a pencil. I know. (laughs) But it really points out like this this phenomenon that when we face 
these really big problems and when we face these impossible challenges in our life, like so many of us, we go right to, I've got to solve it, I've got to do it on my own, and, and we, don't, we don't look for simple answers, and we often don't ask for help. And so I think this kind of comes into our spiritual lives, which everything's spiritual, but like, what do we do when we face big problems? And when we face impossible challenges? Maybe it's work, maybe it's family, um, maybe it's whatever, but, but how do we handle those things? And does God want us to handle them a certain way? And I think he does, otherwise I wouldn't have brought it up, but he seems to in the Bible. And so today we're really going to look at what Jesus wanted from his followers when they face these impossible situations, when they face these big problems, and see if there's implications for us. So if you're new, we've, we're new too. We've done this like three times. Uh, we've looked at how, how God seeks us even when we're hiding, even when we're running from God. We've looked at how God calls us. He calls us out by our name. He invites us into this journey, into this spiritual transformation that happens, into this change that happens. Even, even like um, this guy Abraham, when he didn't know where he was going, he took a step of faith. And so we're taking steps of faith. We're not quite sure where we're going. We think we have some ideas, but he calls us individually and he calls us communally. We've looked at how God doesn't just call rock stars. He just doesn't want superstars. He, he actually calls out like the JV team. He calls out the second strings. We call them the leftovers, which was revolutionary then. I think it's good news for us. It's good news for me. Um, and then, then today we're really looking at what, what is God calling us into? And so that's the kind of community that we're trying to be as restoration, an accepting, serving, Christ-centered, authentic place. And, and I think why the disciples said yes, I think why most of us are here, is we want something more out of life. We don't just want to exist, but we want to, we want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We want to be a part of something that, that impacts the world, that changes the world. Um, not for us, but, but for God. I think, I think many of us want to see miracles happen. I think we wonder if they do still happen, and I think we want to see that happen. And that's, that's, where, that's where this story just brings us to. So, so we're in the... We're in the midst of Luke chapter 9 here. And, uh, and in Luke chapter 9, this is like a major turning point in the story. So if you have a Bible, grab it. Um, and if you don't, it'll be up on the screen too. So let me pray for us. God, thanks for this time and your word. I pray that we would look at it and see what it has to say. Um, see what it had to say then. See what it has to say for us today. If we have distractions going through our mind or maybe we're facing an impossible situation, God, we... Um, we just slow ourselves down, and we ask that you'd speak to us, that we'd look for your answers. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke chapter 9, situation is Jesus has been on the scene, he's been traveling, he's been doing public ministry, and like I said, a change happens. It says that Jesus calls the 12, these people that he called together, his, his disciples, and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Then he tells them, take nothing for the journey. He talks about some Middle Eastern hospitality here. No bag, no staff, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave town. That's very common then. People do not welcome you. Leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Jewish 
a language there. And so they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So, so Jesus basically tells them to do and commissions them to do what Jesus has been doing for, for the last year, for the last year and a half, maybe even for two years now. They've been watching Jesus. And I'm not a big strategy guy, but, but this writer is. And so he's trying to set up an agenda in the story that he's writing. And so he's, he's organized things. He's not changed things. He's just organized things to present a perspective and present a point. And one of the things he's trying to present is that Jesus had this plan that he had from God to do basically two things. To go, okay, three. To go and to show and to tell. To tell people about God's love and who God really was and to show them God's love by demonstrating his power and healing others. And he does this, and he watches people, he, he has people watch him do it. But then he officially invites 12, in this case, men, to be a part of that. And then they do it together. And now he's saying, your turn. Now you guys go do this. And there's got to be like a certain sense of them that's like, oh, this is going to be good. Like, we could, we could really change some things. We could really impact the world here. And so they go, and they show, and they tell. And the verse 6 says, so they sent out, they went from village to village. They told, they proclaimed the good news, and they showed. They, they healed people everywhere. Uh, the next few verses we're going to skip, come back to later. And then they come back. So in verse 10, the apostles returned. They told Jesus everything they had done. And then they quietly slipped away towards this town of Bethsaida. Not in the town, just towards the town. Which I think would have been a really cool retreat. Like here they've all come back. They've been on this big ministry tour. They've gotten to tell people about God's love. They've gotten to show people God's love. And, and things. I, I think things were happening. They were shaken. And, and I think miracles were happening there. But the plan gets interrupted. Because it says in the next verse, the crowds found them. They found out where they were going and they followed them. Those crowds, those, those people who just want more of Jesus and more of his, expecting more from him to meet more of their needs, to teach them more things, to be more available, to do more healings. And the disciples, if I was a disciple, I would have been kind of frustrated. I would have been like, you know, we just did a ministry tour and now we have time off. This is our retreat. If you could just come back tomorrow, you know, that would be great. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. It says that Jesus welcomed the crowds. In one of the other writers, it says they, he saw that the crowd is like sheep without a shepherd, like leaderless, not sure what to do or where to go. And so he welcomed them in. Even though they might have been interrupting, he welcomed that interruption. And then he did what he's been doing since the beginning of this story, the beginning of the book, he, he then taught them about the kingdom of God, which is the telling, and he healed. He showed God's love. And so he started doing what he'd already asked the disciples to do. They didn't, they didn't respond to that. They kind of just sat back and went, all right, <clears throat> nice. You, you go to work, Jesus. I'll be great. Good work. Good job. They became like the cheerleaders. Nothing wrong with it, just there was a shift in what happened. They'd just been out on a big ministry tour, and now this need comes to them, and they don't respond. They sit back and they wait. In the next verse, it says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and towns, because, because 
they're not going to be able to find food here. They need to go find food and lodging somewhere else because there's nothing to eat in this remote place. Okay? Now, the disciples think they're actually doing Jesus a favor. They think they're being compassionate and helpful. Hey, you know, I know you've been doing some great work here, Jesus. Just want you to know it's, it's a little late, and these people haven't eaten much today. There's very little water here. So, you know, we, we really think that by the time they get to, you know, Bethsaida or one of these other towns, that, 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 I mean, they could even faint on the way. You know, and plus when it gets dark, there could be bandits and robbers that could attack them, you know. So off they should go, and, and, then, and then we can go back to our retreat. And Jesus says, you feed them. And if you've heard this story before, it's, it's actually written in all four of the Gospels. Um, just pause, because maybe, maybe you haven't read it this way before. You feed them. I don't, I don't think you, you heard what we said, Jesus. Like, there's no food here, and, and it's getting late, so we're trying to be helpful, and Jesus is trying to be helpful, too. You feed them. They don't get it. I think Jesus was trying to do something here. The same thing he did at the beginning of the chapter when he said, your turn. You go and you show and you tell. Now, you feed them. That would be a way to show God's love. They, they don't know where to go to find food. They might not make it. So you feed them. They didn't, they didn't want to look at this situation as an invitation. This big problem that was there, this challenge that was there, they didn't see it as an invitation. I think Jesus was inviting them back into his work. I think um, that often it's read as a command. And I don't see it that way. I see it as an invitation. And maybe you've never looked at your problems or your challenges as an invitation. One of the other writers in the story says that, that Jesus gives them this invitation. They immediately go to the practical. They look and they go, you know, it would take a year's wages to feed, these, to feed all these crowds. And another one says, well, there's, there's a boy here with bread and fish, but like, what good is that amongst so many? They immediately go to the practical. They don't think that there could be an answer beyond that. They start, they're very American in their thinking. They should have gone to work for NASA. But I think there are responses that we would have too. where we, we go kind of one of two places. Like, we can't do this, or we go immediately to the practical. Like, for us, we, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. We kind of think it's important to, like, be together on Christmas Eve, celebrate Jesus on Christmas Eve. And, and the community center, who I love, who've been great, said, yeah, we're a city-owned building, and we're closed. We're going to enjoy the holiday. Hmm. That's kind of a big one for us. And Easter is too, and they're like, yeah, we're closed then too. Okay. And immediately, like, this thing happens. I don't know if this happens to you. When I get a problem invitation in my life, like, this ball of anxiety kind of goes in here, and it starts to just bubble up and go and go and get bigger and bigger until I feel like I'm in a P90X ab workout until it's so incredibly tight that I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, when that happens, there's kind of one of two things. One would be to just go, you know what, I'm out. I can't do it. We just won't, like, for Christmas, we just, it won't happen. I think that's what the disciples wanted to do here. This problem invitation came up. They're like, whew, don't know what to do. I'm out. I'm off. I'm not, I'm not going to get involved. Like, 
go send them away so we don't have to think of a solution. Maybe that, that ball of anxiety will go away if we just remove it. And it doesn't just happen with situations. And sometimes it happens with people. Anxious situation amongst people, not sure what to do. I'll just remove. But I think it also happens within us. Sometimes our belief system causes this kind of anxiety in us. Like somebody from our community uh, has a, a friend who, who said, you know what, I'm, just, I'm not going to do the faith thing anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to believe in God anymore. And, and this person in our community said, oh, why not? Well, I just can't understand why a loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God would, would allow such suffering you know, and evil to be in the world. So I just don't want to deal with it. Now, there's some good answers to those. We don't claim to have all the answers, but there's some good, thoughtful answers and interactions that we can have with that question, but it would take that ball of energy and, or that ball of anxiety and it would keep it around a little bit longer. And so, and so we don't like that, so we try and remove it, and, and even within our own things. If, if problems or challenges were like riding a bike, because I love props, isn't this great? Whoops. So, I know. If, if problems or challenges would be like riding a bike, uh, this answer would be, you know what, I'm just not going to ride. I'm just not going to go. I'm sure it'd be fun, but I don't even want to get on. Because I don't want to deal with this, and maybe that ball of anxiety will go away. But, if you want to be people and we want to be a community that sees miracles happen, then we have to enter the story. We have to stay involved in the situation. We have to continue on. We have to keep ourselves in places where God can work. So another one of our responses is to take that ball of energy, that ball of anxiety that's just in us and festering and growing and growing, and we just put it to work. We go immediately to the practical and the the needs that are at hand, okay, there's, there's a boy, he's got five loaves of bread, there's about 5,000 men, maybe there's 5,000 women, there's maybe 5,000 kids, that's 15,000 people kind of all over this region. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Five loaves of bread divided by 15,000, that's like three ten-thousandths of a slice. So let's get our make microscopes out and, you know, cut away and, you know, here. Here you go. There's your little morsel. Eat up. I mean, kind of like spending $12 million on a pen that writes in space. It's, it seems a little ridiculous, but, but I think sometimes we jump to the practical so fast and we work so hard at it that we don't even see the absurdity. Why? I think we get this like little bubble of anxiety and it grows and it festers and we're like, oh, I have to do something with this. So rather than pause and hold and ask God and wait or, or wonder, I just put it to work. Because my option is to, to try and get rid of it by removing myself from the situation or to put it to work. So I'll work really hard at it, and, and maybe that'll be better. Maybe that, then I won't think about that anxiety that's within me. It gives us somewhere to put that energy. We might think that, that God needs our help. You know, when it really, really comes down to it, when we really look at our lives, we might go, you know, I don't, I don't know if God's going to show up here, so I'm going to do it. Or, I don't really know if I'm going to like God's answer, 
So I'm going to work. I'm going to do it. But if we want to see miracles and we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, then we have to put ourselves in situations where God can work, but then we have to let him work. So taking the part of the practical and, you know, if, if problems or challenges are like riding a bike, you know, then, then this answer to just jump to the practical would be like jumping on the front of the bike and taking off and riding as fast as you can, not, not letting someone else jump on the back, just going. I'll go where I want to go, as fast as I want to go, where I want to go. And I was thinking about biking here, but then it started to rain. So that would be that problem, and I'm not going to ride around on you because I think you get the visual. But remember... In this situation, jumping to the practical, do they think that God was not going to work? I mean, I don't think the problem was really the problem. I think the problem was that they didn't think their problem was, was big enough or small enough for God to solve. I think, I'll say that again, I don't think their problem was really their problem. I think their problem was that they thought their problem was bigger than what God could do or what God could handle. But remember, the disciples have already seen Jesus heal a blind man, heal a lame man. They'd seen him heal a man from leprosy. They'd seen him calm a storm. They'd seen him heal a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. And, and they'd seen him raise a girl from the dead. Did they really not think that Jesus couldn't work in this situation? So what's happening here? I think Jesus wants to do a couple things. I think the first thing he wants to do is I think Jesus wants to change their thinking. And I think he'd want to change our thinking as well. So, so rather than just like jump to the practical or jump out, I think he wants to change their thinking. And so that's why I think what happens next is really interesting. And I always skipped over this before, but, but listen to how he does this. There's, there's like Israel motif layers here too, but forget that for now. Um, so in verse 14, Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of 50, okay? If there's 5,000 men, if there's women and children too, there's a whole lot of people. Sitting in groups of 50 is not going to take like two minutes. He has the disciples go get them into groups of 50. That takes a while. And, and what's going through their mind? We don't know, but something is going through their mind as they sit in groups of 50. And then he says, um, he took the loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. And then he broke them into pieces and he kept passing out the bread and the fish to the disciples, to the disciples, so they could distribute it to the people. And I don't think they were just carrying it around in their arms. I think they had to go find containers or baskets to put it in. So now they're carrying around baskets and they're going back to Jesus and he's putting it in their basket and they're taking it to him. So they've come back to join Jesus in his work, which is what he said at the very beginning of the chapter. I want you to join me in your work. And so he does that. And it says he kept giving this out. And they ate as much as they wanted, which I'm guessing if they hadn't eaten all day, that's seconds, that's thirds, that's fourths. They're going back and forth, back and forth. This is a long process and what's going through their minds. And then they come back, oh, we finished. And he goes, go pick up the leftovers. So now they've got to go back through all those 50s and go pick up the leftovers. And how ironic, yes, there's a bigger story here, but there's 12 baskets full. So each one of the disciples has a basket of food to go, oh my gosh, like Jesus really does show up in situations. 
and now they've got this lit- literal remembrance there so they could really truly know who they were with. Again, I think we want to see miracles happen in our lives. I know I do. That's why I'm here. This is, and it's a great way to see miracles when you say yes to God to start a church because he's got to show up. He's got to make it happen. Um, but I think there's so much more that he wants. He doesn't just want to change our thinking about problems. Jesus wants to change our thinking about who he is. That's the point of the story. That's why the writer um, inserts these verses um, in verse 7. Remember I said we'd skip some verses here. I never understood why these verses were like in the middle of the story. So he sends, Jesus sends out these disciples and then it says in verse 10, like, then they come back. That's how the story would flow. But he throws in these verses about this king, this ruler in the region. Like, what, what, that's not supposed to be part of the story. It is. It is supposed to be part of the story. Listen to what it says. When Herod, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard everything that Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were calling him John the Baptist, raised from the dead. Others were calling him Elijah or one of the prophets. And he said, I took John out. I took his head off. I killed him. Then who is this man that I hear such things about? Herod wonders who the identity of this person is. Then Jesus does this miracle, like proclaiming his divinity, giving a a, a message of who he is. And then the next section he goes off again with the disciples and he says, who do people say I am? Oh, some say John the Baptist. Well, who do you say I am? Ultimately, Jesus is most concerned, not just with us changing our thinking about our problems, but with us changing our thinking about who Jesus is. When we sing songs like like this psalm, Better is one day in your court than thousands elsewhere. Like, does that, does that mean what we sing it to being? Do I desperately and truly know that Jesus has the power to change everything? That even in, in the midst of unbelievable situations, that I know that he has the power to work in my life. That's what he wants. So there's lots of different pictures for what it means and how to have a relationship with God. There's certainly death, resurrection, forgiveness. I'm not making light of any of those images. They're all important. But I just offer up another one today. I think having a relationship with God is a lot like this tandem bike where we simply go, I'm going to get off the front seat and I'm going to go to the back seat and I'm going to let God ride up in the front And I'm going to let God decide how fast to go, how slow to go, where to go. And I'm going to sit in the back. And sometimes he's just going to turn around and smile and go pedal. And he's going to coast. He's going to lead me on long cuts. And he's going to lead me on short cuts. And he's going to lead me to places where I don't think I can drive anymore. I don't think I can pedal anymore. And he's just going to lovingly say, just keep pedaling. Keep pedaling. And I think when we do that, God takes us to places that we would never imagine, to situations that we would never think we'd have the power to go through. And he gives us the power to go through them because we sit in the back and we just pedal. That's what he's trying to teach the disciples here. And I think that's what he's trying to teach us individually. 
And I think that's what he wants to teach each of us corporately as well. As a community, he wants this place to be a place that looks back in a year or in two years and says, oh my gosh, I can't believe they got there. Yeah, because we needed God to do that. We needed God to be part of that. Where do you sit on the bike? Do you even get on the bike? If it's you, have you, have you seen problems in your life and situations where you're just like, I just need to be done? Or, or truly are you someone who sits up front and directs the path? Or are you someone that's sitting in the back and just pedaling and enjoying the ride? Not that it's going to be easy, but that it's going to be worth it. God wants to see you on this bike with him, understanding who he is. I believe that God wants to see restored health and restored families and restored marriages and restored hope and restored families and restored jobs and all that stuff in this world, in in us and out there. But I think he's saying, where are you going to sit? Just like he told the disciples, you feed them, I think he's saying to us, I got work for you. Yeah, building this community, but I got work for you out there. Where are you going to sit? How are you going to deal with this? You can do it in your own strength. Get tired. Are you going to do it with my strength? But you're calling the shots, telling me to get in the back and pedal? Or are you going to sit in the back and let me steer? God, I thank you for this event in scripture, for um, your word to us that reveals another part of who you are, that reveals you are the one who provides for the poor, that provide for the hungry, that provide for the needy. But so much more than that, God, that you are the one true God sent to reveal yourself um, in Christ as Lord of Lords. I pray for those of us who are tired and frustrated. Um, who want to get off right now and quit whatever whatever that is, whether it's in our homes or in our jobs or or with our friends or in our in our new church, God, um, I pray for those that you would give them a strength and an endurance to know that you're changing our thinking, that you're changing our thinking about yourself, and you're changing our understanding of what it means to encounter problems. I pray for those of us that really love control. That we would see that sitting in the back just means showing and telling people that you bring into our path what it means to have your love in our lives and to show that love. That sometimes being in the back means we have to wait. Sometimes it means we have to go faster than we want. Sometimes it means, well, oftentimes, God, it means we're not in control. So I pray that you would work in us, God, by your spirit to change who we are corporately, to change who we are individually, to be people that desperately, completely, unbelievably follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys stand with us?